Well, something that I'm looking forward to about this women's conference, I get to watch Solomon for the day, and that's a very exciting time for a grandfather to be able to spend the day with his grandson. So, so maybe some other men in this group are going to have to figure out some plans to facilitate your wives attending this women's conference. So, so let me just start off with a kind of a disclaimer this morning. Um, <clears throat> whenever, whenever I'm speaking, I try to kind of assume three audiences. Um, I'm not saying I do a good job of dealing with those three audiences. But if, if you think about it, in any group this size at a church, there are going to be those core, strong, committed believers who, who are strong in their faith, committed in vernacular terms for the Christian, it would be the saved people, right? And then there's going to be kind of a middle group of people, maybe some think they're saved, but consider themselves Christian. Um, I was in that category for a long time. I went to a Bible college and found out I wasn't really a Christian. Who knew? Right? And so there's always some in that middle group. And then uh, I'd like to assume in a group the size that we have some people here who would not consider yourselves to be Christians. Um, a lot of my conversation today is going to be, tempt you to feel like I'm putting you on the outside. And in a way I am, because if, you, if you're here, the church fundamentally is for Christians, right? But at the same time, we want you as a non-Christian to feel comfortable coming here knowing that we love you and we want to speak with you and we want to encourage you and we want you to be a part as as much as you can here of this body. But we also want to spur you to join us as believers. And so if I'm going to say some, we're going to talk about some pretty harsh, true things in the culture today. And so I don't want you to feel in modern vernacular othered. Truth divides, right? And so, but we want to speak truth and love to you today, okay? So if you're in that category, don't be afraid of talking to us. Don't walk out of here thinking, these people don't care about me. These people don't love me. That guy up there in the podium, he's being so harsh, he doesn't care. The truth of the matter is, we speak truth because we care. And we want to do it in as loving way as possible. And so just... Just a bit of a fair warning this morning. Before we open up the text and we read, uh, let's go to the word uh, to the Lord in prayer. Father, I'm I'm afraid of being misunderstood today, and I ask that you would keep that from happening. Help me to moderate how I speak in a way that tells truth still, but doesn't alienate. Uh, Lord, if your truth alienates. I would welcome that. But if it's me, just keep me from doing that, I pray. Lord, we are looking forward to hearing from you today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So turn into your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. For those of you who may have grabbed a blue Bible in the back, that should be page 1243. Um, we would encourage everybody to follow along. Because let's be honest. We believe that... This is the source of truth, not this. 
This is the source of truth. So let me tell you a quick story. One time I was in a church. I was in, happened to be in seminary at the time. And the deacon was getting up and he was giving gifts like a pastoral appreciation thing. And he said, well, our pastor would never tell us anything wrong. And I thought, oh, this is a really interesting opportunity to see what the pastor says. So he got up and he didn't say a word about it. And I thought, oh, he just lost an opportunity. He lost the opportunity to remind the people in his church that he's not infallible. That the scriptures are infallible. And that he's just another member of the church who's dedicated his life to try to teach this and teach this well. We want you to be like the Berean believers. We want you to be following the scriptures and going, it's okay for you to say, I don't know if I disagree with that, from the scriptures. Fair? So let's, let's be that, those kind of people today. So let's read chapter 4, verses 17 through 32. And today we're going to be talking about godly thinking and holy living. Godly thinking and holy living. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his, with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Hear the word of the Lord. So today we want to talk about godly thinking, holy living. Now, I want to start off by pointing out the fact that in, sorry, in multiple places in the scriptures, godly living always starts with godly thinking. Think of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, how, how is the living sacrifice supposed to happen in that passage? Be transformed how? By the renewing of the mind. A renewing of the mind. 
Now, I don't want us to misunderstand this, though, because this isn't about intellectual knowledge. This isn't about having more theological textbooks on your shelf, although those can help. And I'm certainly not disparaging that. When the Bible talks about godly thinking, it's more than just stuffing your head full of facts. It's about a perspective on life. It's about a perspective on life. Let me do a thought experiment with you. If I were to show you a picture of a baby in the womb. If I were to show you a picture of a baby in the womb, how do you think about that? Now think about somebody who's a furthest away from the gospel, atheist all the way. How do they think about that? Do you think about those two things differently? So here's my question. Is that at a conscious level or at a subconscious level? Subconsciously, we as believers, when we see a baby in the womb, that's exactly how we frame it, don't we? Because we know from the scriptures that God created life and that life is precious and it's infinitely worthwhile. Or from the outside perspective... Sadly, it's a clump of cells. And often the term that's associated with that is fetus. It's just just a fetus. I give up. We'll just leave it there. A little comedic break from a real tough topic here. So let's, do, let's, push, this, let's push this a little bit more. Some of you who are younger will... Well, you've lived in this world and you, and you don't see the contrast to 30 years ago. And I, let me just carefully say, I'm not saying 30 years ago was perfect. I'm not saying the 50s was perfect. I'm not saying the 1800s was perfect. Every generation has sin and every generation has ungodly thinking. It's just different from generation to generation. But So put up with me, young people. Maybe talk to somebody older about this and see the contrast. But how many of you... Think 30 years ago, an atheist would have been shocked at 40-year-old men dressing up as women, dancing in front of five-year-old children, being called good. Is that fair? It's how we think about things, right? Because I'm afraid about physical problems like that, I was thinking about taking a kind of a a yo-yo and swinging it around slowly and then faster and faster and faster. You can see why I didn't do this, right? Because I'm worried about the health of the people out here. But our culture is, is going further and further away from a biblical worldview. And because of that, the godly or lack of godly behavior is accelerating, right? And it's at the point where it's almost to an insane level. And I think there's going to have to be a swing back somehow or else things are really going to go strangely. We are literally in an age, and I, I was just, because I have some friends from high school who are very, very progressive and very, very ungodly in their thinking, and they would say this. They would say this. It's good for a seven-year-old who isn't allowed to get a tattoo without permission, isn't allowed to drive a car, isn't allowed to vote, but they're allowed to tell their parents what sex they are or what gender they are. 
Godly behavior flows from godly thinking. But it's not just stuffing your head full of knowledge, it's perspective. It's driving biblical truth to the level of perspective so that when you wake up, it's automatic for you to think about things in a biblical way. We call that a biblical worldview. In a way, it's kind of like a computer boot system. You know, when you turn your computer on, it boots up. That computer is learning how to think about everything. Think, right? When we wake up, we don't think about the fact that we've got this pre-booted system of how we think about things and we process the world through that. And so if you were to take a pair of glasses uh, that represented a believer's way of thinking, it would be one color and an unbeliever, their way of thinking is a completely different color. And so we see a white egg and we're seeing it's green and they're saying it's pink and we're arguing about it and we're angry at each other and we don't know how to deal with it. So we need to understand that Godly thinking leads to godly living. The other factor is then we need to be able to, in a godly way, know how to deal with unbiblical thinking in a gracious, loving, gentle, firm way. So, back to the text. The first big chunk here is going to deal with the fact of godly thinking. Godly thinking is this. Thinking about and assuming and living life through the lens of how God understands everything. There's not a single thing in the universe that God doesn't have a perspective on. Why? Because he created it. He created it. So that's where we have to start. The problem is, even as believers, the problem is we need this renewed mind because we start with an unfit mind. Did you catch that? Every person before they become a believer is an unbeliever and is affected by the the unbelieving mind. And in the terms that we Romans 1 uses and in the terms that this text uses, we'll see uses, is that we have a ignorant mind due to hardness of heart. So we all start with unfit minds. Look what it says, verse 17. Now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So we have Gentiles. Here, Gentiles is kind of used as a code word for those who are not believers. Those who are not believers. Excuse me. I'm just going to leave it right up here. So if you think about it, those who fell under, still under Judaism, still had that Judeo-Christian way of thinking. There's one God, he created all things, He has a standard of holiness, right? So when Paul talks about Gentiles here, he's talking about the, those who are outside of the Judeo-Christian way of thinking, i.e. unbelievers in our words today. He says, as believers, we're no longer to think or act like them. We're supposed to be a different group of people 
who is so loving and so different that people are attracted to us and attracted to our Savior because we're so different. And walking, the interesting thing is, it says no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Walk is an old, very Old Testament concept. It's your lifestyle, right? You walk through life. It's a metaphor for your lifestyle. And yet he doesn't go immediately to behavior. He goes to that thinking. And he says this, we have this unfit mind at the start. Look what he says, 18. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. So that phrase, because of the ignorance that is in them, is a reason for us to have compassion. It's a reason for us to have compassion. Like us before Christ, they are ignorant. They're lacking in knowledge. But there's also accountability. There's also accountability. Look at the next phrase. The ignorance that is in them is due to their what? Hardness of heart. Hardness of heart. Before we were believers, we were ignorant because of the hardness of our hearts too. See, what the scriptures teach is that the whole universe is screaming out the existence of God all the time. God exists. God exists. God exists. God exists. God exists. And you know what we do? We suppress it. We suppress it. We suppress it. We suppress it. And because of that suppression, God says, okay, fine, I'm going to let you go. Boom. Some of you may remember, I had my son up here, uh, I, don't, I don't know how long ago, and he was pull, I was pulling against his sweatshirt, right? And that was the picture of God pulling on us when we were still unsaved. And in that picture, we pulled, we pulled, we were suppressing that truth. He was pulling and pulling and he was suppressing that truth. And guess what God said? You want to go your way? I'm going to let you go your way. Bah. And he went flying and did a little twirl and got up. But that centrifugal force, if you will, or that force of him pushing away and God letting go, took him down a ways that he didn't want to go. And that's where every one of us was at. And some are still there. But the truth is, we tend to, as believers, have, we tend to focus on one of those or the other. A lot of us tend to focus on they're ignorant. And so we have compassion for them and we don't want to call them out and we don't want to say anything that's offensive. The problem with that is they need Jesus and they need us to speak and lovingly engage with them and try to invite them to Jesus as their savior. And then there's some of us and I, I tend to lean this way when I'm not living in the Lord, if you want to think of it that way, is I tend to emphasize the fact that the ignorance is due to the hardness of their hearts. Accountability, call them out, tell them they're sinners. Do we need to do that? Yes. But can we balance, going back to last week's passage, can we speak truth and do it in a loving way? Amen? So most of us are going to find that we lean one of those ways to the other. And for each of us, we're going to have to really work hard at finding the balance between those two things. Speak the truth, but do it in a loving way. Call sin out, but do it in a loving way. Get angry and sin not, later is what Paul is going to tell us. 
Listen to 19. They have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. We were there. That's where we were. That's where we were. As unbelievers, we can never forget that that's exactly where we were. And it's not something we did to get us out of that. God reached down, drew us to himself, saved us, picked us up, starts to clean us off and says, walk in me and I want you to testify about me to the people who were just like you before. Now, the truth of the matter is our culture today really has gone nuts. And we're going to have to really figure out the best way we can minister in that culture. And that's a challenge. And that's a challenge. I don't, I don't envy, I don't envy those of you with children right now. Because you've got a lot to think about. What's going on in the schools? What's going on in the culture? In a different way than I have to. I just have to try to encourage my children to raise their children in a godly way. I don't have to deal with, do I put them into this school? Do I put them into that school? Do I pull them out of a homeschool? What am I going to do given the specific circumstances that God's placed me in? And guess what? There's no one size fits all for that. So you as parents are going to have to figure out how God's calling you to parent your children so that you can be in charge of their spiritual and secular, for lack of a better term, education. But we've got to start with holy thinking. We've got to start with a commitment to the truth of the scriptures, to the truth that God calls us to. And then from there, we need to make it part of our thinking and make it part of our life. And those of you who are on the outside right now, it may not, this may feel really foreign to you. But let me point out, let me point out that there is such a thing as truth. There is such a thing as God. And he's calling you to repentance right now. But here's the great part. You don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay there. Look what he says. Now he's talking to believers here, but he says this in verse 20. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Here I think Paul's talking to that middle ground person. He's talking to the person, that third person in the middle. Maybe a believer thinks he or she's a believer, may not be. He says, look, you weren't taught Christ this way, if indeed you were taught. And I think what Paul is doing is taking the time to point out in a group like this, there may be some of you who are going, yeah, I'm kind of committed, I'm not. And you say, look, it's time for you to commit. It's time for you to commit. Maybe you're in that category today and you go, oh, maybe I'm not a believer. We'd love to have a conversation with you about that. But he says this, you haven't heard Christ this way. Because he's the one in the truth, right? But this is what Christ taught us. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. 
So the picture is putting a, taking a wardrobe off and putting a wardrobe on. You take the old self, you peel it off, and then you put on the new self. And that picture is going to come back to play in the next few verses. The thing that I really love about that, that verse is the phrase at the very end. Because this is so true. It says this. You put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt. How is it corrupt? Through what? Deceitful desires. That's so true. Look, there's a reason why we sin. It looks good. It's fun. Don't let everybody tell you that sin isn't fun. The problem with sin isn't that it's fun. The problem with sin is that fun is deceitful. Because that's a short-term fun that's damaging. It's interesting. There's a secular psychologist that I like to listen to from time to time. He's, he's, it feels like he's on the verge of becoming a Christian. And I, pray, I literally pray for him. Even though I only met him through YouTube and I've been in one of his lectures. But this, this, this secular psychologist has said the following paraphrase here. He basically says, look, I've been in, in, in doing therapy for years and he says there isn't a single sin that doesn't come back and damage you interesting isn't it he's not really a believer but he's able to notice from all the counseling that he's done for 30 years or so that every single character flaw comes back and damages you and damages the relationships and it's a false pleasure because it's a short-term pleasure usually associated with hating yourself or loathing yourself or or damaging personal relationships and he says put those things off put those things off set them aside put on righteousness but that starts with godly thinking it starts with godly thinking and godly commitments and a commitment then to Take off and put on. Take off and put on. Now, I want to take a moment, and I want to, and this might be helpful for a lot of us. Some of us may have seen this before, but there's a particular way in which our culture thinks differently from the scriptures. Okay? And those of you who are in that third category who may not be believers but are hanging around and trying to figure this out and see if, if, if maybe God's drawing you even today. But I, I want you to know that this is kind of the cultural moment that you're in. And I would argue that you are in danger of being enslaved by this way of thinking, which is an unbiblical way of thinking. One term that's being used for this today is expressive individualism. Our children are being taught and we're being saturated with through commercials and TV shows and through political speeches, expressive individualism. And here's what expressive individualism teaches. It teaches this, that each one of us has his or her own way of realizing our humanity and that it is important to find and live out one's own as against surrendering to conformity with a model imposed on us from the outside by society or by the previous generation or religious or political authority. You get it? This is just an ex extension of the song, I Did It My Way. Okay, And literally, if you just watch five minutes of TikTok, here's what's being taught today. That the way to happiness for all of us is to look down to the deepest part of our 
core and peel away all those things that other people told us we were and peel away from those other conformities that the world and the, and the, the church and whoever else has been putting on you and peel away and just find that little core of who you are and then live that out. The ultimate way of describing that is autonomy. Is autonomy. And the greatest public sin is for you to say to someone, no, no, no. That's the wrong way of thinking. The way to happiness is find out God's perspective, how God made us to function, how God made us to live and to live out that way. And some of you are out there going, well, that sounds like slavery. No, it's great freedom. Great freedom. Think about, just think about this for a second. If you're out there and you really want to find the core of who you are, you're never going to do it. So here was, here's what it's like. Taking you out in the middle of space, putting you in a spacesuit and throwing you out in the middle and giving you nothing to grab onto. And you're just going to be swinging out there, floating around, trying to find yourself when there's nothing to find. What we would encourage you to do is find out what God says about who you are. Find out what God says about how you should behave. Find out what God says about how you fit into culture and find stability. Get your feet back on solid ground. Is there constraint? Yes, there's wide fenced in area, but there's great freedom in that. And guess what that's gonna do for you? It's gonna allow you to thrive. It's gonna allow you to thrive. You're no longer going to be flailing about trying to find where you're at. Now, more recently, more recently, this expressive individualism has morphed into what we can call performative individualism. And here's the irony. It's not really freedom. It's peer pressure. But let's look at it. So what was expressive individualism within some people in our culture has turned into performative individualism. The freedom to define and express yourself, that's expressive individualism, has morphed or evolved into the obligation to do so only in ways that are culturally acceptable. You see? We think we are the ones who choose who we will be and what roles we want, and yet societal demands push us towards acting, embracing the roles that we are expected to play. Why is everything about identity in our culture? Why is it that 10 years ago and and back, gender dysphoria was a one in 10,000 problem. Gender dysphoria is the confusion, the sense of confusion about who you are sexually. Am I a man, am I a woman? And people feeling like they're a man trapped in the wrong body or a woman trapped in the wrong body. That was a one in 10,000 phenomenon. Do you know what it is today? I, I don't have the exact number, but it's closer to one in 100, three in 100, 10 in 100. Something is wrong. Do you know why it's happening? Peer pressure. Peer pressure. If you want to be accepted today, just go on TikTok, tell somebody you're a frog kind, 
and you have frog pronouns. I'm not joking. This is real. This is happens. I have frog pronouns, and it's frog self, and frog him, and frog her, or whatever. And I'm not making fun of it. I'm saying this out of pity and compassion because there are people that are doing this because they're performatively individual. But guess what it is? It's actually a form of slavery. It's actually a form of slavery because you're not being who you are because of how God made you. You're trying now to fit into your culture and you can become a hero by putting yourself out there on TikTok. Now, again, don't take this as an angry statement. I'm saying this with deep compassion in my heart. And if that's where you're at, I would invite you to find solid ground. Get your feet on the ground. Find out what God says about who you are. Be that and find peace. Because the former manner of life is corrupt through deceitful desires. And you may be out there thinking, this is how I'm finally going to find joy. I'm going to finally find happiness. I'm going to finally be able to do this. And guess what? It's deceitful because you're going to reach for it and it's going to be gone. It's like reaching for fog. So belief means changing your mind about things, repenting and turning to Christ in faith and renewing our minds. I love it. Verse 24. And put on the new self created after the likeness of God. Isn't that great? Guys, we are not animals. We are made in God's image. That means you are precious. You are unique. You are individual. But you have in common with all other humans that you are made in God's image and you are infinitely valuable. And that's what makes you different from the birdies and the the spiders and the deer. Our culture is trying to get us to think that we're equal with the animals, aren't Right? And yet God says, look, put on the new self. You are in God's image. Start to live that out. So I really struggle with hearing believers talk about themselves and define themselves by their sin. Do you do that? Well, I'm in your mind. You wouldn't say it publicly most of the time. But in your mind, do you define yourself by your sin? Well, I'm Dave and I... Or do you define yourself as a believer made in God's image called a saint? And by the way, able to overcome sin with God's help. You're a saint. Don't be a pessimist. Don't don't get out there and start thinking that you don't have the ability to do this. You can overcome sin. Maybe you need to get some help with that. I'm okay with that. Let's talk. Let's put you in touch with some people that can help you with getting out of certain sins. let's be renewed in the spirit of our minds, verse 23, and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Isn't that encouraging? Take off the old clothes. Put on the new clothes. So belief leads to renewed minds. Now, it's possible, as believers, we've been slightly captured with expressive and performative individualism. 
We need to renew our minds and get back to biblical thinking. How does God say we live? How does God say we act? How does God say we think? And fight true freedom on solid ground within God's constraints. So godly thinking, thinking about everything the way God does. Holy living. So the rest of this chapter is going to get very, very specific. And I, he sets this up with put off, take off the stuff, put on the new stuff. I want you to see that pattern as we read the rest of this verse. The rest of these verses. Therefore, having put aside falsehood, let each one of us speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. What does he say to put off? Falsehood. Speak truth. Okay. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let sun go down on your anger. By the way, notice it says, it doesn't say don't be angry. There is righteous anger. You just have to handle it in a godly way. So you stop being angry in an ungodly way and you start being angry in a godly way. What does he say? Well, give no opportunity to the devil. That's tied. In other words, when we don't handle anger properly, we're giving Satan an opportunity to ruin relationships, to ruin our testimony or an attempt to speak truth to other people. So we have to be very careful about that. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. The opposite of stealing is sharing. But first you work. You put off the old, you put on the new. You start, you stop doing wrong by starting to do right. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. I love that. Stop talking corruptly, but find ways to speak kindness, grace, and truth into a situation rather than joining into corrupt talk. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed. Our sin, all of these not putting on the righteousness, grieves God. Did you catch that? When I sin, I sadden my Savior. Believe it or not, that's actually the text wherein I realized I was not a believer. I realized that my personal sin was grieving my Savior. And that's the point that I repented and I turned my life over to Christ. And guess what happened? I was at Bible college, was on break, read that passage, came back. And a week later, you know what people told me? What happened to you over break? Something's different about you. Because when Jesus comes in and saves you, he changes your life. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Boy. Those are tough ones, right? Along with all malice. But what? Replace it with what? Kindness. You replace it with kindness. So let's kind of try to tile bundle on this. Rather than talk about each of those specific sins, I'm going to talk kind of broadly today. 
If you're here and you're a believer, you need to be putting off sin. I've been a believer my whole life and I can't get rid of this sin. Guess what? Keep fighting. Keep fighting. Become the kind of believer who God is sanctifying and people are seeing a difference in you and because they see a difference in you, they want to go, what's different about that person? And maybe they come to church and maybe they join that third group of people who come to this church and we get a chance to tell them, look, turn your life over to Christ and you can experience that same difference. If you're here today in that middle group and you realized, hey, I'm not sure I'm a really believer. We would love to speak with you. We'd love to speak with you. If you're in that third category that I talked about and you've been sitting here and going, I just don't understand what you're talking about, would still love to talk to you. Or maybe you're in that category, you've been in that category and you're at the point where you're like, I'm ready to give my life over to Jesus Christ. Talk to us. We would love to engage with you on this. Or maybe you're in that category and you're like, I still don't get it. Talk to us. We want to lovingly and appropriately share God's truth with you. Imagine, imagine if all of us as a church were in walking our daily lives, putting off the old, putting on the new, and relating to unbelievers in a gracious and kind and loving and truthful way. Imagine what we could do to turn Midland towards Jesus. The solution to all this problem of changing people's thinking is not arguing. Yes, there'll be some discussions involved. Do you know what it is? It's showing the love of God and how we relate to each other and how we relate to them. I just pray that we'll be able to do that. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We're excited to know that you're active here in Midland. We love you and we ask that you would change us. Pray this in Jesus' name.